This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Alrighty, so we have lots of grounds to cover today, so let's dive straight into the 20-year-old Republic of INSEAD entry for him and see how well or not it has aged, the entry I mean. Open quotations. If you first meet Captain X, he will define himself as a super satellite engineer. His real passion is linking his professional interests to his hobbies. Without lacking self-confidence, despite some recent accidents, he still tries to rocket himself and his multinational crew around the Earth. Please note the especially developed casual space dress. Example, the orange gloves that resist the extreme heat of his immediate environment. Captain X also uses his space dress to show off and conquer Asian beauties on his wakeboard. Obviously, he never forgets his handcuffs that he handles with a master dexterity. Interesting. Since he's supposedly linked to the Columbia's recent suspicious explosion during a party 167,879,346 kilometers away, he wants to hide from the all-catching eye of his own satellites and switches campus as much as possible. Fonti singhi, fonti singhi. After graduation, he will probably seek his luck and future in the heat of California and Hollywood and will ultimately leave our Milky Way, CP, phone home. Well, well, you switched campus a lot, that much is true, but you did not end up in Hollywood, so some must be disappointed. Uh, with I, did, their I did a little bit, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I used before. before okay. In- no, okay. Well, you can tell us, but tell us the last 20 years in a nutshell. And you've had a very eventful 20 years. So, floor is all yours. For the last 20 years, what happened? Mm. Oh, mm. <laughs> How much time do I have for this? <laughs> very short, very short. Elevator pitch style. So. Okay. So, after INSEAD, I guess. Uh, I was quite lost for about a year. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I was kind of wandering around Singapore. It took me, I guess, until December 2020, sorry, 2004. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just, you know, <laughs> I guess time goes by so quickly. So 2004, and uh, in December 2004, I had a big wake up call. Uh, after a frivolous year of not knowing what I wanted to do, because after a sailing regatta in Thailand, I was caught in the Asian tsunami. And, uh, you know, laughing was over. 
in, in a matter of seconds. Uh, so life completely changed. And um, yeah, so I saw pretty horrible things on that day. Uh, and, you know, it was, uh, you know, a bit, I guess I, I lost the taste for partying at that point. And uh, I really wanted to change my life and do something useful. So in 2005, early 2005, uh, fortunately, I was completely on skate after this, this disaster. In, uh, in early 2005, I went back to the, the, um, the region where this has happened, had happened in, in, uh, in Thailand. And uh, I raised a little bit of money and I called a few friends from INSEAD, actually, uh, who joined me to, you know, run some you know, some, some action there, some humanitarian action uh, to help the populations. And so we started running that, uh, like, you know, providing supplies to people who had been affected. And uh, that lasted probably a month and a half or something like that. And uh, yeah, so the, the whole thing expanded at one point after about a month and a half where we, we started you know, rebuilding boats for the local fishermen. And uh, it, it developed in a large shipyards that we, we, uh, we run and, and we, we donated boats to the, um, to, um, to the fishermen over a period of one year. So that was interesting. Uh, it actually really refocused my perspective on a lot of things. And uh, after this, I, um, I came back to Singapore uh restarted my work in uh, in satellites and uh did a lot of consulting uh, private consulting uh which was very boring for many years it was you know basically helping broadcasters figure out how to provide internet via satellites and uh you know i had years after years uh, contracts of with with broadcasters who wanted to hear the same thing on how could they provide internet. And uh, I always gave them the same answer on how they should buy new satellites, change all their team and uh, change their customers, change everything. And that actually they were not really equipped to, to provide internet. And of course, nobody wanted to listen to that because that was not really interesting. You know, after a while they would say, well, thank you very much, but we're just going to continue being broadcasters and we're not really going to provide the internet to anyone. And uh, so it was very frustrating after a few years to kind of study how to use satellite uh, to provide internet in Asia. But that I didn't find anybody to do this. I was paid to, you know, to figure out a business model, but that business model was not embraced by anyone. And I thought, I thought it was quite valid. So in 2013, I took a bicycle ride with a friend here in Singapore. And, uh, you know, I was in between two consulting jobs and uh, he told me what, what you want to do next. And I said, look, I'm so tired of doing these consulting jobs and just repeating the same thing all over again. And, and I know what needs to be done. And I know that there's huge demand for this, but nobody... You know, there's nobody willing to finance this. Um, and so he said, well, why don't you do it yourself? And I felt like, well, you know, I'm here a consultant on a bicycle, you know, uh, and, you know, I need I would need to raise two hundred and fifty million dollars for this. 
So, uh, and he had a, a small private equity fund, that friend. Um, and he said, well, you know, I can give you a desk. I can give you a couple of guys to help you and in second month and, uh, you know, and can incubate you if you want to do it yourself. So, you know, and see, it was, was quite daunting, but I felt like, well, what, <laughs> what choice do I have? So at that point, I needed to go back and convince my wife, which was probably the most difficult thing of all. Uh, that I was going to do this. And uh, so in the end, she said I was crazy, but, you know, it's like, okay, fine, whatever. And I said, well, look, give me six months and I'll at least I'll raise enough money to pay myself a salary. And then after this, we'll, we'll see where it goes, right? So, uh, and so it took me five months to raise about half a million dollars. And then I could, you know, uh, <laughs> I could uh, pay myself a little symbolic salary at that point. And then, uh, yeah, so fast forwarding, we, uh, you know, it took me another six and a half years to uh, to raise $230 million. So we really snowballed that project from uh, a little bit of money and then signing uh, what we call off takers. So people who were willing to put their money where their needs were. And so their future needs were going to be to get bandwidth. Uh, so telcos, uh, governments started signing with the project. Uh, you know, they said, hey, we need your satellite. Okay, it's not here, but I'll sign it. I'll sign your service. And then uh, on the basis of these contracts, I raised more money. And I snowballed. And as the more money I raised, the more money, the more contracts I got. And then that was a nice kind of virtuous circle that we got. And uh and then we bought a, a Boeing satellite. We specified that satellite. We bought that, that satellite in uh, 2017 and then uh, completed all the financing and then launched it in, uh, at the end of 2019 on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. And uh, that was, uh, that was a, an amazing day. It was just uh, mm -hmm. you know, a day that I'll remember as, as well as not for my life as much as as the birth of my two children you know it was it was like the birth of a third child it was mm -hmm. uh, it was incredible we had like it was an epiphany we had those we had 200 friends and 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 stakeholders and after you know attending the launch it was just amazing and the rocket was emblazoned by with the INSEAD logo and oh. underneath that uh, it said the uh, uh you know, Pacific One, which is the, the name of our satellite, and uh, a, a force for good. And uh, so it was right. the, the force for good logo from, from INSEAD. And uh, so it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I've taken INSEAD to space. And I think I've been the first one to do that. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> I think we just got the title for this episode. I've taken INSEAD to space. Was it you who approached the school or the school approach to how did this work out? No, it was a... You know, at that point, I was helping a little bit the entrepreneurship professor and I was in touch with the, you know, with INSEAD. And then I, you know, the, I was in touch with the PR group of, of INSEAD and uh, they were interested in the story. And uh, at the same time, I liked the concept of, of force for good because um, it's, it's actually the force for good is part of a... Um, uh, of a John Kennedy, uh, of the famous John Kennedy speech when he declared that by the end of, this, of the decade he would send men to the moon. So it's actually a force for good comes from a space age 
uh, speech from from the president. And so, you know, I, I like that reference to space can be a force for good. Mm. Money can be a force for good. Mm. Capitalism can be a force for good. And uh, you know you can you can use money to do to do the right thing and uh, and you know to use the capital markets in the right way and mm-hmm. so that's what I, I like to do and uh, you know it's just it was just a good um, you know give and take both for for INSEAD and myself uh, and for the project to to collaborate with INSEAD and uh, and then I thought well. How about I use the logo of the of the dragon or the salamander? Sorry, it looks like a dragon, but of the salamander, and uh, yeah. and the force for good underneath, and 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 then Pacific One, the name of the satellite, and uh, and it was it was pretty big. I think it was like two meters by two meters on the rocket. It looked a bit small from as seen from three kilometers away when we we saw the rocket take off. But it was uh, yeah, it was it was quite quite. Uh, quite a large logo that we took to space, and uh, yeah, so that's where we at. And uh, the the company grew uh, through COVID. Of course, the the, the curveball was COVID. After that, and uh, it was um, yeah a couple of years of uh, of additional white hair on my head uh, of trying yeah. to figure out how to navigate the business. You know, we had to work so hard six and a half years to put the satellite in space. And then uh, COVID happens, and uh, yeah. So last year we managed to get about um, you know a top line of fifty-one million dollars of revenue on the satellites for twenty twenty-two, despite all the COVID eras and um, uh, COVID years, and and uh, and then of course the high inflation, high interest rates. Uh, the project is highly leveraged, so we are a bit affected by high interest rate, but. Uh, we managed to extract thirty-one million dollars of EBITDA from from uh, from this top line last year. So, uh, yeah, the, the company is doing well, and it's it's uh, now ready to buy a second satellite. So we we're raising uh, about three hundred million dollars now for the second one. So um, it's a it's a sandcastle. Uh, it's still a sandcastle. It's bigger sandcastle, but it's still a sandcastle. That you know, the tide keeps chipping at it and uh, denting it. Uh, Tide after tide, and I'm on top of it, just just piling up new sand on top of it to make sure it's, uh, it keeps growing. But uh, yeah, it's an so, interesting journey. So you mentioned the uh, the rocket and uh, having 200 guests there. What always because recently there was uh, one unsuccessful launch uh, here in Europe. What if the rocket blew up? Yeah, well. I- it would have been a wonderful, um, I mean, a wonderful, it would be a fateful uh, a firework and uh, people would have clapped, I guess. I don't know, but uh, it would have, uh, you know, the, the rocket was heavily insured. We had about $250 million of insurance okay. on it. Uh, okay. We had private insurance on top of it. So we had like a lot of insurance on that. Of course, it would have been a huge disappointment, but financially, everybody would have been made made whole. Whole. Oh. Okay, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, look, we we chose we chose the best the best bet in the in in, in terms of partner on uh, in, in the satellite industry. We had Boeing as a partner. We had SpaceX, which you know at that time was already almost launching uh, humans into space with that rocket. So uh, it was really a highly you know highly resilient, robust, uh, validated 
launch vehicle. What would you say have been the biggest challenges of these 20 years, looking back? Well, it, it's, it's probably to find my, my path after INSEAD, you know. Mm. That was a real challenge. It's to find the way forward. It was a bit fortuitous the way it happened because, you know, it's, I relied on INSEAD. I relied on, on, my past, on my past career before INSEAD. I had had a decent career before, about 10 years in the satellite industry. I was a bit old when I, I did INSEAD. I was 34 years old when, when I did it. So it's probably one of the oldest. But I, um, yeah, so I relied on that after INSEAD. But I was probably one of the most lost ones after INSEAD. I, I just didn't know what to do, what I, where I wanted to go. It was, it was a, a huge transformation, I think, both in Seattle and, of course, this tsunami thing mm. that, you know, put everything in question again for me. Um, so I took, my, I took quite a bit of time to find my path, my way forward. But it's probably for the better, you know. Mm. It, it's probably uh, helped me to kind of secure that position into about secure that that um, that vision i would say uh, you know moving forward with that startup relying all on all the ex the experience i had built after insead uh, all the contacts i had uh, it, it was really I, I was at a mature point in my career to, to embrace this it was um, yeah. so i would say that it's probably then the second most challenging is probably to to find the money to get to, to, to achieve all this you know raising money was was a challenge but in the end i, I found you know i found a, a talent in me to to be able to raise money uh yeah. and of course i was raising money for something i, I something i i uh, I was deeply experienced into, right? I, I knew what I was talking about. I, I had such a long experience in in, in that that in that business that uh, you know I was credible. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of on our preliminary talk, and I should brag about this. I'm doing this project, and I'm catching up with people all over the world. But I think no one is gonna beat briefing from Papua New Guinea. So with you, you and I, we had a call and you were in Papua New Guinea. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> talking to people. That's in Seattle, right? But that's in Seattle to extreme Papua New Guinea. There you go. So, but you were telling me how you started. And um, we also talked about all these. In fact, you did mention how even the tsunami has been instrumental in uh, people coming for the internet and not for the boats. That was one clue you got. And then, and then just like going and providing internet to places which otherwise would not have internet, as simple as that. So can you expand a little bit on that? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So like you said, when, uh, I did the, um, the humanitarian action in, in, uh, in Thailand, uh, uh, we had set up a, um, a satellite dish uh, using a broadcast satellite at the time for receiving internet in that remote part of Thailand. And uh, I was really surprised that, you know, every night I would have uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 people sitting outside that office. It was still the early days of the internet, right? In 2005, uh, you know, people were, wanted Wi-Fi. There was no... There was no iPhone then. Uh, there was no um, 
you know, uh, 4G, etc. So people were gathering around Wi-Fi hotspots. And so, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a real clue to, to what was to come uh, later that, you know, in, in remote parts of, of the world, people want to be connected. People want to spend money. They just don't have the means, but they do have money there. There's a lot of businesses. What, what, what opened my eyes also is that people are doing all kinds of businesses in those rural areas. They are selling their crops. They are, you know, of course, fishing. There's a lot of primary industries that are thriving there. And when you live in these regions, you realize that they are the economic engine of these countries. You know, in Thailand, the, uh, the, the, the wealth is not created in Bangkok. The wealth is created in the countryside. It's managed from the big cities, but it's actually uh, created. All those, those commodities are created in the countryside. But just that they're created over very vast areas that the dollar per square kilometer is very low. But with satellites, that's the advantage, right? You're covering all these little activity centers that would otherwise cost a bomb to, to connect via terrestrial systems, right? If you were to put fiber to all these places, it would cost, cost billions of dollars. But with a satellite, you have the distribution system built into it. So that's the beauty. Uh, that's the, 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 the beauty of satellite. And it's also, you know, nicely meeting a... A, a real market that can that has a willingness to pay of an entire satellite if you aggregate the volume over very large expanse of you know territories, uh, and so that's what we do. Uh, we've just taken that model and we connecting. Um, uh, I mean, the satellite that we launched was designed first. I I put the first blueprint myself, and then a lot of the colleagues that are hired over the years. There's just added a little bit of, uh, of their uh, talent to it. And then we came up with a final blueprint of a satellite that uh, looks a little bit like a mobile network from space. And uh, that connects at a very high, with, with very high speed internet, you know, all those commodity production centers of the developing world, Indonesia, Philippines, Papua New Guinea, Pacific Islands, uh, even Nepal, French Polynesia, Fiji, you name it, all these places. And, and is able to connect, you know, a very remote area with uh, an internet quality uh, that is better than what you would have in, in, a, um, uh, in a capital city in these, in these countries at a price point that is absolutely affordable for, for a small office. Uh, we are so connecting, of course, all government facilities, schools, hospitals, you know, civil defense, even courts of justice, uh, communities at large. We're connecting mining, uh, renewable energy farms, uh, you know, windmill farms and, uh, and solar farms. Uh, even we're connecting a dam is a dam that produces hydroelectric uh, power in, in one of the islands of the Pacific. And, you know, it needs to be remotely controlled. So we're connecting that dam with, uh, with satellites. So, yeah, all, all kind of things, uh, even, of course, resorts, remote resorts. And uh, the, the, the list is very, very long. But, of course, the most important facilities that we connect are 
schools and hospitals. Uh, and when we connect hospitals, uh, we provide a fun fundamental lifeline to the people who are treated in the hospital. Uh, we, we're providing, um, you know, sometimes life, life-saving connectivity uh, for critical cases that are, you know, seen in these, in these regions. Uh, people live in very precarious conditions. And so, so, yeah. And of course, we do also a lot of disaster recovery. We've, we've contributed to the evacuation. I mean, one of our system contributed to coordinating the evacuation of a 10,000 people island where a volcano erupted. Uh, we also reconnected a, a, the country of Tonga, uh, the country, I mean, some regions of the Philippines, more recently, uh, an entire region of the Solomon Island after their cable got cut, for instance. Because when, when undersea cable get cut, you need to reconnect quickly. Uh, you have all of a sudden an entire regions that are in the dark. And, uh, you know, you need to be reconnected and satellite is, is great for that. You can reestablish huge amount of connectivity in, in a blink. Uh, but we've also provided a disaster response after many uh, uh, tropical cyclones, typhoons in the Philippines, Vanuatu, Fiji, um, uh, and even in, in uh, New Zealand recently. So how many of you on the team do that magic? Well, we, we How are, big is the team, in other words? Yeah, the team is 80 people. We are you know, a capital-intensive infrastructure player. Uh, yeah. So we have people in... in uh, a lot of us are in Singapore, traveling a lot. And, uh, but we have people in, in many different countries. We have reps in, in Fiji, reps in Solomon Island, in Papua New Guinea, in Nepal in East Timor, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, uh, Australia, uh, even in the US. Uh, so yeah, we have, we have people in, in many, many different countries. And, uh, but, but really what we do, we, we work with local partners. We have a, a network of 400 distributors that work with us and distribute our systems. Uh, we have um, resellers also, licensed reseller, uh, you know, telecom operators. Uh, we work with, you know, like the brands like uh, Digicel, uh, Vodafone and, and people like that. And with with governments as well, uh, you know, government of Indonesia, Philippines, Papua New Guinea, uh, all these governments are, are quite close to us uh, uh, when it comes to connecting on their health care, education, as well as disaster recovery. So can you tell me in your view after these 20 years, uh, what's the most difficult of aspect aspect of being an entrepreneur? Well, I guess for me the the the, the, the because I, I did this alone, I started alone. The most difficult is to be lonely mm -hmm. uh, at times, you know. So mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not easy. I'm happy in a sense that I did that alone because I know that sometimes people who started with other partners. Know, run into relationship trouble so I didn't have to deal with that however you know it, it is it is um, it is sometimes an issue to to be the one driving this uh, to be to feel responsible the you know eventually for all the money that has been raised by the company I have more than 90 shareholders in the company I had to raise money you know from 
you know, we started from, you know, at first we had like the first round was 15 different people. We raised those $500,000. And then again, we had to complete rounds or sometimes accept accept people who would just put 10 or $20,000 as well as people who put $20 million. So we had, we accepted all kind of money at that point from, you know, reputable individuals, but still people with their own means. So, and uh, yeah, I I felt personally responsible for that. And uh, when the company um, was facing challenges, I I very often felt alone. And I think that was the most, the most difficult part. Hmm. Uh, Because, because you have nobody to talk to, even your family would not understand what you're going through. And on the flip side, the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur for you? Mm, well, there's a, a few things. I guess the, the most the most, uh, the most most rewarding, of course, which is not something I'm necessarily directly in touch with, is the fact that we have saved lives. You know, of mm. course, that's, that's the ultimate reward for the project. Uh, the estimation today is we have saved so far approximately 3,000 lives. Uh, so it's a huge number of people would, that would otherwise not be here on earth, right? So it's, um, it's, it's, that, that's something that's uh, a huge feel good for, the, for me and the whole team and, and everybody and even investors who have contributed to it. But I guess the second, the second uh, most rewarding part for me is uh, it's kind of silly, but it, it's the fact that I have employees that I can pay salaries to, you know, that mm-hmm. I have, I create livelihood among the employees. Uh, and that's, that's something that, um, you know, it, it makes me feel valuable. It makes me feel, um, I don't know if valuable is the right word, but um, it makes me feel useful. It makes me mm-hmm. feel like, yeah, we've created something. Eventually, you know, when shareholders will be able to sell their shares. Today already, I'm, I'm quite proud to have been able to multiply the value of the shares. Of course, they haven't sold yet, but uh, the value of the shares of those who have believed in me early on, and that hopefully I'll, I'll allow them one day to exit, and one day soon, hopefully. So that's... What's uh, the plan that's, there? Well, we, we're planning to uh, potentially, uh, you know, list the company on the stock exchange. Mm-hmm. So um, in, in the fairly new, near future. So, you know, there may be a lockup period. But yeah, I would imagine within a year or two, people should mm-hmm. be able to to go to move on. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's uh, that will be rewarding for for me to see to see people happy that they've helped them make money. Mm-hmm. And then beyond all this, you know, it's. <laughs> It's there will always be for, you know, I guess, <laughs> I don't know how many thousands of years to come, this little satellite, if, if nothing else comes out of this company, this little satellite will be floating in space and telling the story uh, that that this has happened and that uh, I was the one starting this hall and putting this machine in space and it will be the, <laughs> the testimony of, uh, of, of, the, of the journey. But you have plans for more more satellites, yeah. so yeah, right? Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. So hopefully, a constellation will be there. Yeah. So, can you 
just very briefly from broadcasting to broadband, you are trying to help broadcasters move, but can you just give us the basics of the industry in terms of where it's coming from, where it's, where it's now and where it's going? Just yeah. a very helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, satellites in, have started, uh, I don't know, in the, in the 1960s, that's where the first satellite came around. And then in the 1970s, the industry expanded to provide international telecommunication. That's when, uh, you know, that was the, the main means of communication via geostationary satellite between countries, right? You'd have Europe connecting and, and calling U.S. via geostationary satellites. They were not very powerful machines. And then in the 1980s, these satellites became more powerful and uh, were able to carry television, probably in the end of the 70s already. And so they carried... You know, they were basically broadcasting television channels that were received to by cable head end, right? So those cable uh, were pushing the television uh, to every home, or then the the, uh, the playout center would then retransmit that via you know all those little antennas that people had on their roof to receive television back then. And then came around broadcasting what is called DTH, uh, direct to home television. Uh, so you have all those little dishes that people put uh, on their balcony or wherever, and then they receive direct television from satellite. And that became very, very powerful. So that was the, these were the heydays of broad, broadcasting in the 1990s when I started my career. Right? So in, that, in, in these days, you'd have, um, you know, uh, an expansion of number of TV channels you'll get via your TV dish, your, your satellite dish at home. And uh, I was in this industry, in the broadcast industry before INSEAD. And uh, I saw, you know, so many satellites being built for that and uh, the explosion of TV channels to the point that between the early 1990s and the early 2000s, you know, the number of TV channels that you could access got multiplied probably by 50 or more than or maybe 100, depending on where you were on Earth. So, you know, in the early 2000s, you'd have 500 channels on, uh, on, a satel- on, a, on satellite dish, right? So, and so everybody was flocking that industry. And, uh, and, and in the end, you know, the, the technology further evolved in broadcast and people started receiving television via fiber with what is called IPTV. Uh, so, and you had compression scheme where a satellite would not only carry like 10 or 20 channels, but be able to carry like, I don't know, 500 or a thousand channels. And then at that point, there was overcapacity in space and, uh, that broadcast industry started declining. Mm. It's still a huge cash cow today. It's still feeding billion dollar companies that, that operate dozens of satellites in space doing broadcast. But it is not a growing industry. Broadband, however, has started really becoming sensible in the early 2000 uh, to do it via, I mean, via satellite. So you'd have satellite that were starting to be designed to provide two-way communication via small dishes that you would install at uh, direct to premises, basically. At, at each premise, you would install a little dish and you get high-speed internet. And so that has grown over the last, say, 15, 20 years. 
but it's still a, a small industry compared to uh, the broad the broadcast industry. Uh, but it, it is growing really fast now. Uh, you have even people like Elon Musk himself uh, with this little Starlink constellation uh, taking on the world and uh, you know. Um, uh, putting a lot of a lot of effort in in delivering broadband via satellite. So yeah, it, it is growing fast, uh, and um, you know the we are in this kind of a crossroad right now in this industry between uh, broadband growing fast, but not necessarily representing the, the vast amount of the of the of the industry revenue yet, and then the broadcast industry trying to scratch its head on what is next. But uh, having a huge, representing a huge cash cow that is slowly, slowly declining. So, uh, interesting times. Tidal waves. Hmm. Right. So, what advice you may have for students or recent graduates that are thinking about about entrepreneurship, based on your experience, positive or negative? Should they go it alone or? Yeah. I'm, I'm, um... I'm still involved in uh, in uh, in SEAD entrepreneurship uh, classes, so uh, sometimes I do the uh, review of uh, business plans, and uh, here in Singapore uh, on the Singapore campus, and um, yeah. So one thing I always recommend is that you know, first of all, the the usual thing, right? It's an idea. Everybody has one, right? So the execution is everything. You need to execute and 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 the grit that you will be required to execute your idea is you know unthinkable the the, the places that grit will take you is is uh, are places you 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 never believe you could go to before starting at least that was my experience the other thing is i would really recommend that to try to choose something they really believe they can sell, that they something simple to sell. If their idea is complicated to sell, if they have a hard time figuring out if there is a market for this, uh, if they can really sell it, I would not do that. Mm. It's you know, and, and sometimes you know you can have very complicated systems that are a very simple answers. A, a simple answer to people to people problems, and mm. uh, and so that's that makes it very simple to sell, and then and then generally I think people should not underestimate the power of a of a network, and I'm not talking about network of a telecommunication network. I'm talking about yeah. human network. Every business needs a network, uh, reseller network, uh, supplier network presence network every time i've seen a successful business it 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 builds a network somehow mm. and you know i see a lot of those young entrepreneurs from insead uh you know trying to launch an app for instance maybe a little bit less now after covid but before covid i saw so many doing this the app was the answer and then you sprinkle a little bit of ai over it and then there you go right so you have a great product but 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 even with an app you need a network you need a network to spread the word you need a network to actually anchor your app i'm not saying it's impossible to make money just with an app but then 
you become vulnerable to competition. With a network, mm -hmm. you dig a great competitive moat around your business. And, uh, and that's really what I think uh, entrepreneurs should, should focus on. Mm. And, you know, and finally, probably raise more money than you really need because you'll need that money. Right. <laughs> At some point, always be prepared. So you already mentioned the INSEAD connection and, um, of course, Kogut and all that stuff. But you forgot to mention the guy on the bike who was <laughs> also an INSEAD guy, right? No, he wasn't. He was introduced. He Oh. No, oh, he, he was introduced by an Indian guy, right? Yeah. yeah, he was introduced to me by the late uh, Professor Patrick Turner of entrepreneurship right. uh, in, in Singapore. And uh, in my previous startup that I had done, you know, I had, I had done a, 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 at the same time of doing this consulting business uh, in satellite, I was also doing hotspots in Singapore in the early days of the Wi-Fi hotspots. Um, and uh, I had done a little bit of that uh, for a few years in parallel, so deploying hotspots, Wi-Fi hotspots. And then, uh, yeah, Patrick Turner put me in touch with that friend, Sebastian, who uh, uh, later on basically gave me the guts to start the, the, the business at Pacific. Yeah. I'm just looking for all the INSEAD connections, right? Yes. And also, yeah. that's also a network, as in a network that could uh, be very valuable and works both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it, it actually, you know, a little story around the INSEAD network. I had a, um, uh, now a colleague of mine, uh, our regional director in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> He's, uh, he's in Seattle and uh, he is from Papua New Guinea. I think he's wow. probably one of the handful in Seattle uh, graduates from that country. And uh, he has an amazing story of uh, grit or so of pushing through uh, the barriers of, uh, you know, being born there and uh, managing to get an INSEAD uh, degree, uh, an INSEAD MBA bouncing from place to place and one day actually realizing that um, our satellite was providing internet in his country and uh, he had just graduated from INSEAD and he sent me a, a, a link, he sent me um, a message on LinkedIn and told me, hey, um, you know, I'm from Papua New Guinea, I'm, I, I, I see that you're providing internet there. Uh, and I've just graduated from INSEAD, which gave me a, an amazing stamp of quality for a guy yeah. like this, right? So I said, hey, you know, I want to talk to you. We need, we need some good people there. We need a regional director there in, in Port Moresby. Uh, where are you based? And he said, oh, I'm actually in a little village called Riversault, north of Perpignan in the south of France. And it's actually, it was about five kilometers from my vacation home where I was in, yes. <laughs> I was spending my holiday there. And I said, just take your bicycle and come over. <laughs> so <laughs> he came and then we had a great talk and then now he works for us in, uh, in Port Moresby. Yeah? So I mean, yeah, that, that's how it works at INSEAD. It's just, just amazing that the network works so well. And uh, for me, it, it's when someone tells me that they are from one of from INSEAD or sometimes from very reputable 
business schools as well. I mean, it, it's it's mm-hmm. always a a stamp of quality for me. Yeah, I just love all these stories. So, and uh, to to finish this, and then we're going to the quick round of questions. How do you think about giving back in general, and then in Seattle in particular? What how do you conceptualize this? And obviously, it's not just about money. Yeah. So look. To me, it's uh, the work that I've done uh, regularly, I would say about every three months. I, I do that uh, uh, with the various uh, entrepreneurship professor uh, at INSEAD. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm helping regularly uh, Milena, the entrepreneurship, uh, well, Milena, just like yourself, actually. <laughs> you, you know her? Uh, she's Is the she entrepreneurship in uh um i don't know where she's from i think it's from croatia or something like that isn't it yeah i think so yeah. and she's in she's in singapore but she teaches in uh in uh in france as well and yeah so i help i i go there uh, you know every three months for a day and uh, i i usually prepare uh two days in advance uh, i read all the all the uh, business plans of these uh, of the INSEAD students, and then I guide them. Um, and I've heard that some of them have actually become entrepreneur and they've taken their business plan forward. So that's you know I, I like to do that. Uh, I, I and I think that's my way of giving back. Mm. Also, I I'm quite proud of what I did with the rocket and the force for good for INSEAD. Mm. I think it's 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 a good thing. To uh, to put put uh, in Seattle on the map, uh, a lot of people were asking me what what that was, and uh, <laughs> and then I had to explain, and uh, and you know it was a good way of, of spreading the word that this is a, a great school and that uh, it's focusing on on doing good, on using money mm-hmm. for and capital markets for the right thing. Yeah, nice. All right, are you ready for the quick round of questions? Okay. Back and forth. Your proudest achievement. Yeah, to launch a rocket in space here, to launch a satellite in space. Success for you is? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's having impact. Mm -hmm. Happiness is? It's looking back at what I've built. Okay. Biggest regret? (laughs) Um... Not being more selective with uh, certain people I've um, uh, I've included in my project. Mm. What keeps you awake at night, or you sleep well? No, I don't sleep well. <laughs> um, it's the sand castle I was mentioning earlier. Mm. Mm. Wish you had known, or someone had told you how to build a better shareholder agreement. Mm. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? I don't think I would change anything. I don't think I would be able to. Honestly, I think fate has taken me where it's taken me. So, mm. Retirement ever or never? You see yourself with a glass of... Yeah, I have young kids. So yes, yes. The answer is yes. Retirement, uh, I'd like to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. If you had to pick one book everyone should read... The Blue Ocean. Okay. Most admired public person? Huh. Hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> Most admired public person. 
I guess I'm cynical, so I'm just probably <laughs> it's gonna be hard. Let me see. Neil Armstrong. Okay. And most despised public person? <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say it. Oh well. <laughs> All right. Last one. Are you coming to reunion? I'd like to. Yes, I've told my wife and um, we are planning to. It's uh, going to be a bit challenging with the kids and everything, but uh, I, I really would like to. Yeah, I think uh, I've missed all of them before. And I've told her, look, we, we, we really should try. As a, a few faces I'd like to see again. It would be, it would be fun, even, even if not for long, at least. Uh, it would be interesting to uh, see people Swing with kids. Swing back to Fontainebleau. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be really Swing nice. Swing back to Fontainebleau. Yeah. We're going in France for two months now with the kids and then coming back to Singapore, then October going again. But yeah, look, we'll try. We'll try my best. Uh, and if not with the family, yeah. maybe alone. But I'd like with the family. That would be cool. Yeah. Mm. It would be awesome to see you. So it's October 6, 2023, Fontainebleau. And the gala dinner is at the Chateau on October 7. And I can finally say that this was a conversation with Christian Paturo, serial entrepreneur and founder, CEO of Pacific, a guy who decided he wants his life to be useful. Thank you very much for your time and your do-good attitude, Christian. And I'm very much looking forward to hopefully seeing you in, in Fontainebleau in October, but maybe also in the summer. So thank you so much. Thanks, Milena. You were listening to the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and, dare I say, colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of INSEAD yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Their Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.